Chapter 14 The Gate to Phyrexia Jarsal had always been a transitional figure in most of the respected histories, born too late for the Brothers' War, born much too early for the most interesting parts of the Dark. Yet, he has been a key piece of the puzzle. What is known by modern man about the legendary dreadlands of Phyrexia comes from Jarsal's personal notes, and though there are those who dismiss his legend as a folktale or moral fable, there are those who continue to seek out his truths and attempt to find Phyrexia for themselves. When they do not return, everyone assumes that they have finally found it. Arkal, Argivian Scholar The journal was the original, not a transcription or a later reprinting. Joda placed his hand on the weathered cover. The black leather was cracked in places, but still unpeeled and whole. The thin tome's corners were shot in gold, and touching it, Joda could feel something. Perhaps it was just the ghost of long-cast magic, or perhaps it was a spiritual connection between his ancestor and himself. He could almost feel Jarsal reaching out to him through time. Joda held his breath when he first opened its cover and turned its thin pages. He was afraid, from its age and import, that the volume might fall into dust at the first touch. The book's pages were made of vellum, pounded and worked so thin as to become translucent, and the rich, multicolored inks had faded with the passage of time. He had handled older books than this in the library, and ones in worse shape too, but this one held great power, not only because Marisol had entrusted it to him personally, but more because of who supposedly wrote it. Take it with you, the Lord High Mage said. I want your opinions on the text. Over the next ten days, Joda poured over the volume. He transcribed everything he could read in the text, and then held each page in front of the light to see if there were any pen scratchings that had lost their ink. There were also various notes in the margin, some no more than scribbles. Joda had to determine if they were written by the same writer, but could only guess as to when the marginalia had been written. The journal was crammed with information, very little of it useful from a magical approach. It was written at the manor, of that much Joda was certain. The text was an odd mix of magical theory and local gossip of daily affairs and deep thought. A note of the purchase of several geese was right next to the long column of numbers, their purpose unknown. A drawing of weights and balances, of the placement of mirrors and lenses, was interrupted by a remembrance of Jarsal's visit to his own grandmother's funeral pyre. There was a detailed proof, with no preamble, that continued for a page and a half and finished with the conclusion, of course it works, written in a florid hand, but there was no indication of what he was trying to prove in the first place. There was nothing about colors and barely anything about the power of the land itself. Jarsal assumed much, Joda realized, about how magic really worked. Perhaps he was following the artificers of the era, trying to define magic in terms of physical mechanics and not as it seemed to function in reality. The journal would not say either way. Marisol asked for daily reports. At first, Joda was nervous, unsure he could add anything that was not already obvious to the Lord High Mage. He made mention of what was written of Jarsal's grandmother, who originally found the family line at Giva, but that was lacking. Even Jarsal referred to her only as Grandmama, without any clue as to her identity. She had been powerful once, and might have been nobility from another nation that had fallen in the Brothers' War, an exile spending her life in a place that was not her home. Joda's first draft of his initial report was flowery and fawning. Joda read it, realized that Shannon or Lucan could have written it, and ripped it up. The report that Marisol received had something of what life was like in Giba, both from Joda's own memory 
and the stories of his grandmother. The Lord High Mate sent a brief note back, encouraging Jonah to continue working in that line. Jonah pressed on. He started pulling books from the library and asking Netta about how life was when she was young. The old woman indicated frosty that she was not that old, but did direct Jodah to some texts that were written over a century ago. Jodah discovered that there was much on rulers and battles and little on daily life and private matters. Still, he pieced together enough by the second day to know the size of the beast referred to when Jarsal spoke of a cross piece the size of an ox yoke. Jodah knew what species his ancestors would have used to plow the fields, the larger, hardier breed that had long since gone feral in the mountains and now had longer hair as opposed to its timid cousin, which had become weaker and more inbred with the passing centuries. From that, he could calculate what the distance Jarsal mentioned truly was. By the fifth day, Jodah began to understand Jarsal's basic concepts. There are worlds beyond this one, he was saying. Imagine the world as a house without doors. If you were within such a house, you would never be able to discover what was outside. Indeed, the outside might be filled with water, or poisoned, or fierce creatures. Let's say that you can make a door, and discover that there was a house next door to yours, as big as yours, with other people living there. That was what Jarsal had done. He had found a way to open a door to another place. Not another part of the same house, but another house entirely. The house was called Phyrexia. Jodah sent a message to the Lord High Mage and went to bed. When he awoke later in the day, there was an enthusiastic response. How do you open that door? Jodah took to eating in his room or the library. He saw little of Shannon, but that was apparently to both their satisfaction. Jodah would prowl in the library for various references and then look for references mentioned by those references. If he could not find them, Jodah would send a short note to the Lord High Mage and the books would appear as if by magic itself. Jodah had become more sure of himself as well. His reports to Marishal were less tentative and more direct, and the responses were in turn encouraging, while not effusive. Slowly, he stopped thinking of the Lord High Mage as the most powerful spellcaster in the conclave, first among equals. Indeed, comparing Marishal's behavior to most of the rest of the conclave, he was the one adult among children, the only individual who seemed to think beyond practical jokes and gossip and dinner. When his brain was filled beyond capacity, Jodah would walk the parapets and walls of the citadel. During the day, he would study the mountains themselves in those periods when clouds lifted and allowed a brief view of their majesty, marching row after row southward. In the evenings, the battlements were lit by a magical flame that spewed from the stonework itself, the fires that Jodah had seen upon his arrival. Jodah watched the lights, and by the eighth day, found he could summon the fire in the way Vasca had. He understood why the battlement flames function and can now duplicate it. He placed that spell among the others, among the light spells and healing spells and power removing spells he had put in his mind's manner. On the ninth day, he unlocked the greater secret of what his ancestor was talking around, the greater spell that led him into the other universe, this other house. It was in many ways worse than Bosca's definition of describing a dance. Jodah felt as if he was studying the reactions of the audience and from that, trying to deduce the movements of the dance. Now at last, Jodah thought he knew the dance. On the tenth day, he sent a brief message to the Lord High Mage, saying he wished to try Jarsal's spell. An immediate reply, carried by Barl himself, scheduled the attempt for after the dinner hour. Jodah missed dinner that evening, in his preparations, and arrived at the door 
to Marisol's private study. Barl was not present this time, and the door was locked. Joda tentatively touched the gold rune in the black door, and the bolt shot open. The heavy door swung open, a crack from its own weight. Come in, came the fluid voice from within. I have set the wards to admit you. Joda pushed the door the rest of the way back, and Marisol was seated on a low footstool, hovering over a collection of wheels and gears made of metal and stone. When he had been in the room the first time, Joda had not inspected it, being at first too intimidated by Marisol and then too surprised by Jarsel's tone. Now he realized that this must be the mystery project that Barl was having his artificers create. He thought of Shaning, laboring in the gardens, and hoped the unkept artificer avoided any other accidents while recovering. Marisol looked up at the younger mage's arrival. The magical light from his desk reflected off the shining, glowing bits of his calendar of stone and metal, illuminating his face from beneath and giving him a weird, unearthly appearance, like some goblin creature stretched into a human form. Marisol smiled, and in the unnatural reflection of the machine's light, the smile looked more like a snarl. Are you ready to try? Joda nodded. Marisol said, Are you sure that this opens the other world? Joda nodded again and added, What little he describes seems to be like no place on this world. Rains of acid, rich jungles made of metal leaves, and machine creatures more complex than any of Urza's or Misha's legendary clockworks. He calls it Phyrexia, though that word is not found in any other reference volume and may itself be the name provided by natives he encountered there. But he does not mention any natives, said Marisol, other than the machines. No, said Joda, though I found similarities between the great beasts he found there and the Mokfawa of Falaji legend, but the connection may be coincidental. No mention of natives. But if there were no natives, his voice trailed off. Then where did the name come from? Marisol finished the thought. Joda stared at the words, then nodded. Of course Marisol read the book. Of course he had seen a few faint references to Phyrexia, the supposed world next door. But, wondered Joda, did Marisol's conclusions match his own? Joda suddenly felt like a small child at the family religious ritual. Everyone else had seen and heard the ritual a hundred times. Only Joda, the child, was new to it and nervous. He looked at Marisol, and the Lord High Mage was smiling. But Joda could not figure out the reason why. Are you ready to start, friend Joda? The taller mage said. Joda set out the various components he knew he needed from the descriptions given in Jarsal's tone. Some were scientific in nature, such as a set of five crystals set in a precise, evenly spaced pattern, or a glyph of a particular shape carved in a dark metal. Some of the components were mystical in nature, such as a goblin skin bag of powdered bones, or the runes marked on the slate floor in chalk. Some Joda did not know what purpose they served, save that they were mentioned and might be important. On the sideboard, he set out his recording scarab and three sheets of parchment, each overlapping the other at the bottom. He discovered in the library that this way, he did not have to change sheets as often, and he did not want to miss anything that was said during the casting. Marisol had by this time retreated to his stone calendar and lingered over it a long while as Joda prepared. At last, the Lord High Mage asked, Are you ready? Joda bit his lip and nodded. Then begin, said Marisol, his hand snaking out and inverting a small hourglass. Joda closed his eyes, opened his mind, 
an imagined farmland, the area around Jarsal's ruined tower. It had been abandoned after the wizard's disappearance and emptied of its contents by its apprentice and servant. That had to have been when the book Mirsal had given to Joda was taken. The tower itself was used as a quarters for workers picking cranberries, then just for storage of farm implements. Then, about a century ago, a savage windstorm caved in the sides and all but the great foundation stones were used to build walls between the fields. Joda had climbed over the foundation stones as a boy. They were wide and flat and inscribed with rain-carved frontals that he always thought of as forgotten runes. Joda stood on those stones and imagined himself the hero that repelled all attackers and broke all sieges. He thought he felt the power within that land, even then. The air felt somehow thicker there than elsewhere on the manor, and now the mana he pulled from it seemed heavier and more viscous than the energy from the other memories. He wondered, briefly, if it was the result of his own youthful attachment to the place. He pulled that mana and slowly began to work the spell. It was a rough spell, worked completely within his ancestor's journal. First, one crystal made a high-pitched whining sound, then a second, a half-tone off, then a third, and then the final two, all vibrating to their natural frequencies. Joda touched the glyph-covered plate, and it already felt warm. Joda cast a healthy sprinkling of the bone out in the air, and the crystals changed their pitch. Joda smiled and cast another sprinkling. Again, the crystals changed their pitch, vibrating at a still higher frequency. The glyph plate now glowed of its own heat. The mana in Joda's mind was an intense white ball now, and he opened that part of his brain to the spell, letting the radiance flow into the framework of the spell he had created. And nothing happened. The whiteness at the base of Joda's brain refused to move, refused to pass through the mental conduit into the predetermined part of the ritual. At first, Joda thought he had not pulled sufficient mana from the land, and in a panic-stricken moment, he brought forth more memories of the gardens and wheat fields, and the ball on the base of his brain grew hotter as it accreted the mana, and the whiteness did not move from his mind. Joda could feel the sweat running down his temples now. He opened his eyes, but his vision was blurry and the room indistinct. He could hear Marisol say something, but the part of his brain that listened would not or could not decipher the words. The white hot ball at the base of his brain began to burn, scorching its way through his flesh. He tried to force the mana into the framework of the spell, but it would not go. He felt the hairs in his nostrils begin to catch fire, and they smelled of ammonia. He thought of Shannon's stories of the fallen. With a cry, Joda reached upward and cast loose the mana. He quickly pulled another spell from his memory and threw the burning ball of memories into that. Hot, white fireworks shot from each of the young man's outstretched hands, and Joda thought he screamed. Then he blacked out from the pain. He awoke to Marisol's calm, dispassionate face, framed by stars. No, not entirely dispassionate, but rather curious, as if Joda was a frog laid out for a dissection. What he had thought were the stars were instead glowing white embers that were now embedded in the ceiling of Marisol's private study. What happened, Joda? said Marisol. There was no friend here, but rather the terse demanding tone of a disappointed patron. I don't know, said Joda. I summoned the mana successfully, but I failed to move it into the framework of the spell. Marisol's brows deeply furled as Joda spoke. The physical matrix refused the mystic force. He rose and walked around the desk, each step getting tenser and anger. We had the matrix, 
but the force refused it. Damn it to the hells, shouted Marisol suddenly, and with one sweep, cleared the desk of books. Heavy volumes, scrolls, and the journal itself cascaded to the floor with a thundering smash. Marisol did not wait for the volumes to hit, but slammed the desktop with a fist. Jodo was surprised the Lord High Mage did not break either the desk or his hand. We're so damn close! He looked up at Jodo, and there was fire in his eyes. He started to snarl. You must have! Then he stopped and took a deep breath, then a second, letting it out like a low whistle. Then he said, in a calm, measured voice, Are you all right, friend Joda? Joda said he was, and added, I'm sorry about your ceiling. See you? Marisol looked up at the thousands of small pinpricks of light now driven into the ceiling above him. The lore high mage gave a tired chuckle. Think nothing of it, he said, and with a wave of his hand, each and every one of the lights went out. What? Joda took a deep breath, then started again. Friend Marisol, what do we do now? Do? said Marisol, and for a moment, it looked as if he would lose his temper again. Instead, he just shook his head warily. We do what every educated and proper mage would do. We review the facts and look for where we went wrong. Are you sure everything else was correct? Jodo looked at the remains of the spell materials in the room and nodded. I think so, he said. But are you sure? pressed Marisol. It felt right, said Joda, which was not the question Marisol asked. Marisol nodded and tugged at the corners of his mustache. Then, that's good enough. He snacked Jarsel's journal, which had sprawled pages open on the floor and closed it thoughtfully, then handed the book to Joda. Here, review it again. Surely there's something you, something both of us, missed. No, no, don't worry about the equipment. I'll get a servant to take care of it. You've been very effective, Joda. When you have something, send me a message. With that, Marisol ushered Joda out of the study. The younger magician paused only briefly at the door, but the Lord High Mage was already making a beeline for a stonework creation in the corner of the room. Marisol stood in front of the calendar and tugged at the ruby in its ring. Joda crept out of the room like a beaten dog. Marisol had been horribly disappointed, and he hit it badly. Joda was disappointed as well, but for different reasons. The past few days had been everything he hoped being a true mage would entail, and it led up to this one moment. He had failed, failed utterly and spectacularly, and now Marisol probably did not trust him anymore. Joda sighed, closed the black door behind him, and paddled down the hallway to the small wooden door that led to his own quarters.